the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and uh, great to be with you. We've got a lot to talk about today. What you need to know today is the Great Divider continues. The Great Divider continues. Joe Biden has an incredible gift. I don't know. That's the wrong word. He has the incredible ability, clearly has the ability, and he has the will, his administration, to just divide the heck out of us. You can divide us in all kinds of ways. I mean, you have to just shake your head and wonder, and we'll talk about it with the student loan forgiveness. Um, the, it's just breathtaking to see how uh, a policy debate that could and should be had, it should be had, is shortcut by Joe Biden pandering and dividing. And so we'll get to that. Also, later on in the program, we will talk with a rabbi, a rabbi about how the Catholics, the evangelical Protestants, and the Jews recently banded together to stand up to a worldwide effort to take away the rights of conscience of medical professionals. Very interesting story. I, I hope it's a, an indication of cooperation to come because the challenges facing healthcare and well, everything, but healthcare, especially around protections for conservative doctors, whether it's doctors who want to seek life-saving remedies for their patients, see COVID, whether it's doctors who don't want to participate in abortion, whether it's doctors who have qualms about the rapid increase in government payments to facilitate so-called palliative care at the end of life. It looks a lot like euthanasia. It looks a lot like hastening death. And there are healthcare professionals that don't want to participate, and the healthcare uh, system has always honored that. And yet, we're living in a world where so many things about this are, are, are off balance. So we'll get to that uh, later on in this interview. Sorry, I, I, I have uh, uh, digressed into that for a moment. Uh, but I do think it's important, and I think more and more, I, I, you hear me talk about bioethical issues. There's more and more reason to worry about the bioethics by the, the underlying values that are driving things uh, in this country. All right. So uh, we will also um, talk about the um, role of the pro-life movement, what's happening with the pro-life movement in America. Uh, and in particular, we're going to get an update from a woman named Christina, Christina Bennett. Christina Bennett is now a correspondent with Live Action, of course, the organization that Lila Rose started, which has been so successful in so many ways. But also, uh, this woman, Christina Bennett, has a history that is really worth admiring and worth understanding. She's an African-American minister uh, who also was, at, in, her, uh, in her story, her life story, she was almost uh, aborted. Her mother came very close to aborting her. And decided to have the baby for lots of reasons. And this woman, uh, Christina Bennett, has gone on to be this great advocate for life. Really impressive to uh, hear her. So we'll talk with her in a moment. All right. But first, what you need to know, what is happening with this uh, loan forgiveness, right? Everybody knows, everybody knows someone who has been burdened by 
debt from education that didn't seem worth it. Meaning, I, I, I think if you take out a loan and loans for um, college and it works out, even though the loans are burdensome you, and, and they will drag on, you can kind of see how it worked out, right? In other words, let's say, for example, you go to a uh, very fine school. Let's say you go to, to uh, a, a private school and you get a degree in economics and accounting or engineering and you go out and you get a job. Well, if you've gone to a private school, you probably still are uh, paying a good amount of money, probably paying serious uh, dough and you probably have loans, but you're on track to have a career. And although you're, it may actually distort decisions you make, Having loans is probably, I don't know, worth it is the wrong word, but it will work out. And we should talk about how the fact that if you have $100,000 or $200,000 in loans, it distorts a lot of decisions. When you buy a home, when you marry, when you have kids, decisions about what you could do, how you support your church, all those kinds of things are the cascading effects. But those are, are not the worst cases, right? The worst cases are when people take out lots of loans and they end up undereducated anyway. And we talked about that the other day. But here's the problem. We have a situation where Joe Biden has yet again divided us. First of all, he said we're going to forgive $10,000 in loans. Most of the people I talk to have much more than that. So while that will sort of help some people, I'm not sure it's going to change the life of most people. I don't think so. But also then there's going to be all sorts of caveats on this. And here's the truth of it. No less an authority than Nancy Pelosi said... He can't do this. Joe Biden cannot do this unilaterally. We have to do it at the Congress. And I'm reminded, by the way, I'm reminded very vividly of Joe Biden, excuse me, Barack Obama saying he could not fix the immigration issues around the so-called dreamers. He couldn't do it. It was Congress's job, he said, Obama said. And then after the Congress couldn't get anything done, he said, I got a pen and I got a phone meaning he's going to sign an executive order and then he's going to call the grassroots and, and galvanize them. That's exactly the playbook. Biden is just like Obama, meaning he's lawless. He's outside the law. And what he's going to do is do something that divides us, something that divides us, that somehow if you stand up and say, why are you forgiving the loans for students? You're against students. I'm not against students. I'm not against students at all. The, uh, the, the reality is, that we should have a debate. It should be a big policy debate about the burden of loans on students. I'm for that. I'm for a conversation, as I think it was, was it Ted Cruz or one of them tweeted today? No, uh, one of the uh, elected officials that's usually fearless on this stuff tweeted and said, you know, Harvard's got 50 plus billion dollars in endowment. The universities and the, and the colleges that survived COVID, a bunch of them closed, by the way, smaller ones and, and weaker ones, the ones that survived made money. They still got tuition. They got bailouts from the government. They, they strengthened their position financially. And they have many of them have billions of dollars in endowments. And yet the whole system of loans is engineered in such a way that who's on the hook when loans are, are, are burdensome? Not the university. Who's on the hook? The government, you and I, the taxpayers. But since loans are not dischargeable in bankruptcy, that's a law, that's part of the law, then they're just, they just float and they drag people down. We should have a serious debate about why we allow our educational system to be subsidized and socialized 
by Fannie Mae, by, not by Fannie Mae, by uh, is it Sally Mae, by the federal loan authorities. There's a bunch of different ones. They've changed the names a couple times. And what it means when we do that, because you take out the incentives of accountability and competition when you make sure that the universities won't be held accountable. They won't. You can't go back to the university and say, you charged me $200,000 and I can't get a job. You charged me $160,000 and I, my job is I'm stagnant. I'm stuck here. You can't do that, right? For lots of reasons, by the way. You, you, you can't, that can't be the accountability, but there's no one saying, sell me a different product. Why? Because that's not the pressure point. The pressure was insulated from the pressure point of money. So we should have a serious conversation. We should be having the conversation about what the universities are doing, what the loan authority is doing, what the companies that make loans are doing, how the system, the big, 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 big money system of education has skewed public policy against we the people. But when Joe Biden gets up and says, oh, even though Nancy Pelosi and others agree, I don't have the authority, I don't care. I'm like Obama. I got a pen and a phone. I'll do what I want. And he picks a number, $10,000, and he picks eligible people. And what he does is divide the heck out of us. He divides the heck out of us. And people that don't fall within his parameters or are outside of it or work to pay back their loans or whatever, it, it feeds envy and class struggle and all that stuff. And at a certain point, you say, hey, Joe Biden, it looks like you like this happening. You keep doing this. You keep picking winners and losers and pitting us against each other. And nothing is really changing. Nothing meaningful is changing. It's not changing the dynamic for the country. It's just not. There's no way. No one can tell me it has. It is. All right. That's all I've got for now. That's what you need to know. The loan, the loan forgiveness program by Joe Biden is not only illegal, uh, not a, a extra constitutional. It's bad for people. It's bad for the country. It isn't fair, but fairness is something that's you know neither here nor there most of the time in government. But I wish he would stop. I wish he would just stop. All right. We got to run. We'll be back. We've got uh, great interviews. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been interested to uh, catch up on this uh, story. Um, we, uh, we, we, I've been watching, and you know, I told my listeners, Rabbi, that uh, back in the uh, early 2000s, I represented a couple of pro-life pharmacy owners who were in Illinois, and they were being pressured uh, to try to uh, have, force them to uh, to um, dispense RU486 and other of the abortifacients. And so our, our guest, let me welcome Rabbi Menken, who's with the, I think he's the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. We were just talking off the air that um, the issue of, of, uh, of conscience protection and health care rights all in, it's exploded during the last two years is something that uh, they've had to adjust their work uh, to address. So uh, welcome, Rabbi. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing Hope great. You. I'm doing great. Yeah. Do you t- tell me about the need that you saw to to start the healthcare council at the Coalition for Jewish Values? Well, well, I know why. I can feel it in the whole environment, the whole nation. But tell me about it and why it's important right now. Well, Coalition for Jewish Values got started to represent actual uh Judaism-based Jewish opinion in, in public policy, because so much of what you hear 
is leftists portraying their own views as if they were the Jewish view. And so we had to step forward and represent and point out the overwhelming majority of rabbis in America are traditional, traditional in their values and their outlook, and traditionally educated. And their voice is that of Jewish tradition. And then we had this a similar problem, actually was produced by medical professionals coming to us and saying, we, we need something to protect our conscience rights, just like you were describing for the pharmacist. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you have nursing homes being pressured to accept transgender uh, people or people claiming to be transgender as the gender they wish to be rather than the gender they actually are in a a uh, multi-person per room setting. You have doctors being told to perform gender-affirming surgeries. Like, if if you're willing to do a reconstruction for a woman who suffered from cancer, well, then you better be willing to do the same procedure on a man. And if you refuse to do it, you're a bigot, and you shouldn't be practicing medicine. That's the the line. So protecting that sort of conscience rights, uh, there were only Christian organizations doing that, and it was time to do something on behalf of Jewish medical professionals and a lot of Jewish doctors out there, and their their conscious rights also deserve to be protected. Uh, we're talking with uh, Rabbi Yaakov Menken, and on Twitter, at Y Menken, M-E-N-K-E-N. Uh, he is the managing uh, director of the Coalition for Jewish Values, and we're talking about the Healthcare Council. I, I wanted to highlight this. I-, I encourage my listeners. Sometimes they say, well, well what does it mean? You know, you-, you sign a letter, you make your voice heard. Does it work? This letter from early August, just this year, where the Catholic Medical Association, the Coalition for Jewish Values, your Healthcare Council, which Rabbi Menken works with, as well uh, as well as the Christian Medical Association, they weighed in with the World Medical Association in an effort to limit conscience protection. So an effort by worldwide effort, one of the World Medical Association's effort to say, hey, conscience protection, you're not allowed to do that. If you know, if you do, if you don't want to be a part of transgender, if you don't want to participate in abortion, well, you don't you can't object on conscientious grounds. You're you're a bigot, as you point out. And it succeeded. And 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 so let me ask you, Rabbi, what's your read on the World Medical Association backing off and not allowing this prohibition on conscience is is that a move in the right direction or or, or was it sort of well they're not going to take that fight now it feels like the world wants to pressure uh conservative values everywhere i i'm i'm, I'm kind of pleased and surprised you won this is this is definitely not a fight that is over um this is right. going to be ongoing but it was very important to step forward and, and, and push in this particular case, because yes, the World Medical Association was dealing with a resolution that if passed, would have limited doctors' uh, conscience protections, which would drive certain doctors out of providing medical care. Right. You know, people talked about when, when gay marriage became a thing in the wake of Obergefell, in the Obergefell decision, I think it was Justice Roberts who wrote that you know, obviously, there are well-meaning and decent people on both sides of this issue. I know that sounds like Donald Trump on fine people <laughs> on both sides. Uh, but, the, but the result of that, you know, scant months later, was driving a, a woman out of a clerk job that she had held for 30 years when she right. personally said, I can't certify a gay marriage. I'll let somebody else do it, but I can't do it myself. And right. That's not enough. You have to count out to the uh, 
to the woke progressive values or you're going to be driven out of your job. That's what they were trying to do to medical professionals. So do I think this is over? No. Do I think it was a victory? Very much so. Uh, we were told, actually, that, that this had an impact. There was no question. The American Medical Association was going to go in with sort of a wishy-washy attitude. And it was these three organizations, the Catholic organization, the Evangelical Christian Medical and Dental Associations, and our own, standing together on one letter saying to the AMA, you've got to protect doctors of all sorts of faith traditions. If they just say, we can't be part of this, they have to have the right to practice medicine too. It's just a matter of you know allowing people to continue practicing medicine as they always have. Um, are you there? Yeah, you, I'm sorry. You, you studied, cut out for a second. I'm glad I got you back. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, we're Ed Martin here. I'm talking with Rabbi Yakov Menken, at Y Menken on Twitter. Worth checking out his Twitter feed. Also, let me point out, uh, Rabbi, your website, coalitionforjewishvalues.org, coalitionforfor, jewishvalues.org. Um, the, uh, the, I'll tell you my own pet peeve on this, too, which is important that we're talking about. I'm, I'm really a- a- intrigued and pleased that the, uh, that the Jewish Values uh, uh, Coalition Jewish, for Jewish Values started this healthcare council. One of the problems, though, is we have come to rely as a society on the financial dynamic of healthcare such that our seniors are on Medicare and they're on Social Security. And so government is the government is in charge of the payments, which means their values tend to not always, but they tend to dominate, if not at least permeate. And I, I will tell you that the, the, the question of the end of life is another one that's really uh, on the top of mind that the across the country, it's settled down a little bit, the physician assisted suicide movement, the actual just suicide movement that people should have the right to end their lives. Um, I, I don't know if there's ever been an argument about the morality, you know, the morality of that. But I mean, I'm obviously not going to enforce uh, the law against someone who kills themselves, but we don't want to incentivize it. it. It strikes me that Medicare and the big hospital systems, so Medicare, Medicaid and the big hospital systems, are so dominant on the payer front that they really don't care what our values are. That's what seems to be coming. There's a lot of concern about that because, again, imagine a geriatrist for 40 years. You know, he deals with elderly patients and being told, you can't do this job anymore unless you're willing to do a referral for euthanasia or assisted suicide. Right. Not that you have to perform it, but you have to be willing to let this patient kill him or herself or get help doing it if that's what that patient wants. And otherwise, if you're not willing to be part of that, then you can't be a geriatrist anymore. So yeah. that's the valuing life means you're unqualified. If you believe that life is so precious that the one thing you're not going to do for the patient is help him or herself kill themselves then you can't practice medicine anymore. So when you have Medicare being the payer, they can set rules. And once they are setting rules, they can set a rule like that one. Yeah. Well, and then, and then the, and then we're, again, we're talking with uh, Rabbi Yakov Menken uh, and Y Menken on Twitter. And uh, again, the website is the uh, coalition for Jewish values.org. It's, so, it's so important in this context that the, 
evangelical Christian community, the Catholic community, and and Rabbi the, the Jewish community came together on this. In, in that context, uh, it's it's exactly the question becomes whose values get to trump. And and in the in the proposal that you guys just helped push back on, the, the idea that there was a demand. That if you were, let's say you were a doctor and you didn't want to participate in, in a physician-assisted suicide, the demand from the World Medical Association, the proposal was, quote, effective referral, end quote. Effective referral. Not, you didn't just have to walk out of the room and let somebody, you know, you say, I'm sorry, I don't talk about that and walk away. Effective referral, meaning the referral had to take effect. So you almost have an obligation or they're creating an obligation to make sure that the person can get what they want. And and we've never had that in medicine. We've never had a requirement that uh, that someone other than the doctor could decide the conscience uh, decisions and the patients together. Right. So you can fire your doctor if you're a patient, but you shouldn't be able to be forced by your doctor based on what Medicare wants or something like that. It's a, this idea of effective referral is the, 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 the most Orwellian use of language that would devastate medicine. It's that same that same language that you talk about of effective referral is not only relevant to euthanasia but to abortion also. Pro life uh, birth you know birth clinics and maternity clinics people who advise on how to keep your baby and how to have a healthy baby and you know whether you want to adop- have that baby put up for adoption or keep the baby and the idea is that you have to provide a referral. To an abortion clinic is exactly the same problem you know to to your question of like whose values should decide and the answer for an individual doctor it has to be that individual doctor right exactly. i mean the hippocratic yep. oath requires we do no harm in a lot of people's opinion it is harmful to refer someone for an abortion and it is certainly harmful to refer someone for euthanasia yeah, which is a grotesque term to begin with. I mean, just the idea that putting somebody out of their misery, as it were, is a thing. Right. You know, that's right. that's just not what life is about, according to do- traditional doctors, obviously. And so, the interesting thing about this, you know, the Catholic Medical Association and the Christian Medical Association and the Coalition for Jewish Values Healthcare Council all working together is that all three are saying we're not demanding that our values should rule because all the three of us come from different traditions also we're saying that the individual doctor should rule for himself or herself i I can't refer something i'm not telling i don't have control over the patient's life the patient can go elsewhere but here's what i can do yeah and if the the patient demands something i say look i'm sorry i'm not part of that if you if you want to you obviously have the right to go elsewhere, but I don't have to assist you in getting your assisted yeah. suicide. Yeah, it's and it's one thing. I'll just finish by saying again, Rabbi Yakov Menken can't can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, your this conversation. It's one thing to have professionals be bullied by other professionals, and I don't mean this as a compliment. I'm not saying I like it, but it's one thing if the doctors try to persuade each other that physician assisted suicide is a good value. That's that's one thing. I don't like it. And I think we should get more conservatives and more uh, believers into the medical profession because they think a lot of them think secularism is the right religion. But it's another thing entirely when government and the governments are going to get in the role of that's a kind of fascism that is really uh, unrecognizable. And if you think it's far off, 
you, you just have to look around and realize that they're trying to pass laws on transgenderism in schools and they're not going to stop there. Right. This is not a thing that stops uh, uh, this this uh, this slope um, coalition for Jewish values dot org. Uh, Rabbi Yaakov Menken, I'm sorry I'm out of time. It's the Coalition for Jewish Values. Thank you for your time. We'll have you back on again. This is an important topic, and it's great to have you as a spokesman talking about these key issues. Thank you for having me. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, I'll put this all up on social media uh, so you can listen again uh, to this interview and uh, also links to the, uh, the websites and others. We'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Been looking forward to speaking with our next guest. Christina Bennett uh, is a pro-life activist. She is also a Christian minister. She's had a uh, long career. I was looking at her background in leading uh, in, in the fight to bring both faith and uh, policy into action on the pro-life issues. She is now a, a correspondent with Live Action. We I love Live Action and their, their great foundress and uh, all the things that they do. So first, welcome, Christina Bennett to the program. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, and it wouldn't, it's not, it's not, I mean, I guess how you do this It's I could, I, we're radio. So you happen to be black too, on top of that. And you happen to have yes. a great founding story of your, of your sort of understanding of life. And we can get to that. Although I really want your expertise on having seen, uh, progress. You know, I think in DC, the effort you were involved in was uh, the Justice House of Prayer, uh, some other yeah. things. After Dobbs, how do you feel about what's next? Because you've been in this a couple decades, I think is the number, and you see a lot of that's going on. And where are we going now? Right. So yes, I've been involved in the pro-life movement for 17 years. And as you said, yes, I'm proud, you know, African-American woman, black woman, and as well as my husband and, you know, my family. And we're so grateful that that we're part of this, you know, life-saving movement. Dobbs and seeing Roe versus Wade overturned was a dream come true, something I've been fighting for and working for for almost two decades. And now we are in the place of the battle of the states, you know, the battle in your home state. Every state is having to make the decision if they are going to stand for life and pass laws that protect preborn children in the womb or if they're going to stand for abortion. Tragically, I live in the state of Connecticut and we have (laughs) made their decision and uh, we don't even have basic parental notification laws here, which means that if a teenage girl wants to get a tattoo, she has to tell her parents. If she wants to go tanning, she has to tell her parents. But if she wants to get an abortion, she doesn't have to tell her parents. But that is Connecticut, and that's New York and California. But there are other states like Georgia, obviously Mississippi, states like Texas, where they are fighting for life, and they have passed pro-life legislation. And so now it just comes down to, you know, what states are going to be pro-life states and what states are not. And there's about 12 states that are pro-life states and other states they are battling. So it's very, very important for people to vote in November and to put pro-life people into office. Uh, we're talking with Christina Bennett, who is uh, a correspondent over at Live Action and also uh, uh, works in, in ministry for her church um, about the pro-life battle. Um, what... 
you know, what we saw in Kansas a few weeks ago, the coverage of it, I, I, I'm obsessed. Again, my listeners will, will kind of maybe roll their eyes, but they'll certainly know where I'm going. I'm obsessed with the coverage of things, right? Kansas right. was covered as if all these pro-life people decided, yeah, you know what, but we don't really want to ban abortion. It's not what happened. I mean, the, the, in Michigan right now, we're getting ready. I had one of the uh, uh, activists on up from up there. They're getting Planned Parenthood is going to spend $40 million to deceive the right. public on an on a ballot initiative. And my problem is, Christina, so many communities, uh, and I mean, you know, soccer moms, uh, you know, medical professionals, and then just general public get persuaded by the the money. It used to be just paid for, but now it's not only paid for, it's also big tech and big media that have a viewpoint on this, or if they don't have the viewpoint, they're afraid of the people that have the viewpoint. So they assume it. It's like a, a little bit of a joke when I say this, but a lot of, you got to wonder sometimes if the, some of these CEOs, if their wife is a liberal they you know, Phyllis Schlafly used to say, show me a, a, a guy's uh, wife's politics and I'll show you his. Uh, you could, wow. there's, there's, there's women that are CEOs too. We you know, don't, don't sick the police after me, but how do Christina, how do we fight the, the, the behemoth of, media and tech and everything that deceives people. You know, we have to fight them in the same way that they are, you know, on their battleground, like on their playing field. And we have to, we have to spend money too. (laughs) We have to influence people through the media. We have to do commercials. We have to do social media things. It's insane. And I'm glad that you said it, you know, $40 million, people don't realize they think of Planned Parenthood like a charity. They think, oh, Planned Parenthood, you know, they're a charity. Listen, Planned Parenthood gets a lot of money from the government, over $500 million a year from our government, from our taxpayer dollars, not to mention all of their celebrities and influencers and everything else. People are pouring money into them. And so people don't understand that they are actively influencing the way that you think they are in the capitol buildings they are shaking hands with state senators and state representatives they are passing bills they are fighting for legislation and they are controlling the airwaves and so we have to fight them in that same battleground and so for live action what we do is we're on you know tiktok we're on instagram we're on facebook we're on all these different social media channels we're on youtube and we now Tragically, you know, we get censored by some of these pieces Um, and they try to, you know, take us off Twitter and, you know, shut down our TikTok and and not not let us pay for Google ads and things like that. But we are willing to put our money where we know it can be invested well into reaching people. I was talking to someone the other day in the pro-life movement and they were saying that they had done research and they had figured out that Planned Parenthood was willing to pay up to like five dollars for a single click. So $5 for one person to click on a link that would go to an an article about what abortion is. So they're willing to pay up to $5 for one person to click and to have information as to what they believe abortion is. And so they really are not a charity. They are a political organization. They are, you know, a billion dollar organization. And we have to expose the reality of that and to help people to get the truth. 
Uh, again, we're, we're talking with uh, Christina Bennett. Uh, she's with Live Action uh, among her uh, many roles and uh, liveaction.org. If you go there, you can see how much is going on and what's happening there. Um, Christina, honing in because it is worth a, worth a, uh, very much worth a conversation. We have seen over the last four or five years, because of President Trump, uh, I think, and, and it, conservatives like me, for example, went along with what Trump said, President Trump thought we needed on criminal justice reform. It was more right. liberal than I would have come along. You know, I mean, it was yeah. and that he pulled people, you know, like uh, there he he increased the economy in such a way that we had record employment and right. income increases for Hispanic Americans and African Americans right. Right. on the education issue. We've seen after covid real school choice. I come from St. Louis, where our St. Louis public school, it's just it's it's the worst systemic racism ever what, they're, right. what the school system yeah. does. So but have we I wondered about and how we are making progress with African-American. I know they don't vote or think like a monolith, but on the question right. of voting for pro-life uh, candidates at every level, is that changing at all? Do you see anything with African-Americans where they're saying, oh, yeah, I relate to that? Because it's an obvious one when you hear the history of Margaret Sanger and all, but it's right. not it's not practically moving, at least in the last few years. Well, I do think that things are changing and I do have hope. I know for myself, I mean, I I came from a family of all Democrats and I was a Democrat, too. I didn't even think about anything different until I became, you know, pro-life. And then I felt like, okay, this is the party, the Republican Party, conservative party is the party that is willing to, you know, to at least work with me on this issue. Um, Because in Connecticut, you know, the liberal progressive party is just like trying to shut down pregnancy centers and and everything else that you can imagine. That's just insane. And so I became a conservative. I mean, it was, you know, it was a few years back, but and it is true. I don't know how, you know, your hus- husband's are influenced because my husband's a Republican, too. So right. maybe he was and he wasn't before he met me. But he says that he was once he started um, <laughs> making you. more money and he realized oh. that Democrats take all of it. So then right. he always jokes around and says that. But I have seen change in the last 10 years, I'll say, with more black conservatives rising up, um, be- you know, on the local level, running for office, um, you know, becoming pro-life. And even in the Democratic circles, I have a a person here in Connecticut who's a state rep and she's a pro-life Dem mm. and she's she's young and she actually got 17 pro-choice Democrats in the last session in Connecticut to vote against an abortion bill, which wow. has never happened before. Yeah. And she did that because she exposed the racism and, you know, Margaret Sanger and everything else. You had 17 pro-choice black Democrats who were like, nope, I don't want to vote. The bill had to do with allowing nurses and midwives to do abortions and they voted no. Now, unfortunately, it's still passed. So I am seeing change. But of course, we are still at a place where you're over 90 percent of black Americans are are voting Democrat. Mm-hmm. And it's very sad. You know, I was uh, vacationing with my husband this summer and I saw uh, Ralph Warnock, you know, from Georgia. Yeah. Uh, and he was actually speaking at a church in Martha's Vineyard and he used his sermon right. to talk about abortion. He actually wow. preached on access and accessibility and how Jesus gave people access to him, but also we need access to abortion. And I wanted to stand up and just you know, I wanted to scream, but I didn't want to get arrested. So right, right, right. I just, you know, held it in and talked about it later. But it, I, I would have talked to him afterwards, but it just wasn't possible. Right. But it was very sad. And so you do have these black leaders who are political leaders and then spiritual leaders, or they come off as spiritual leaders, present themselves as spiritual leaders, and they're deceiving the masses. So we have a long way to go, but I have seen progress. 
and there is hope. We we should yeah. never uh, forget that there's always hope. Well, I, I it's I'm I'm glad you're out there. Thank you uh, for, and I think it's more and more you know because it takes courage, and you get sometimes someone who's um, comes out of the experience. Uh, gets more grief, right? It's one thing for, some, oh, yeah. you know, there's so um, appreciate that very much. Again, liveaction.org. Uh, Christina Bennett, thank you for the time today and we'll talk again soon. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. God bless. God bless you. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. And we'll be right back. Don't forget, you can go to proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com. Uh, I will post up this uh, interview there and, uh, and other links. Be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me update you on something called Eagle Council. Eagle Council, uh, starting in the 19, late 1960s and for 50 years almost, uh, Phyllis, 1960s, uh, Phyllis Schlafly gathered people uh, together and she called it the Eagle Council. And Eagle Council was one part training getting together and figuring out what to do together. Phyllis would often tell people what to do, but it was also another part fortification and networking and fellowshipping. And so we have our Eagle Council coming up September 17th in St. Louis. And September 17th is Constitution Day. And so if you want to go to a meeting where there's a 1,000 people or 5,000 people, that's not this. If you want to go to a meeting where there's between 250 and 500 people, that are doers, that understand policy as well as understand politics, then come to Eagle Council. Because what we pride ourselves on, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, is not just getting together and being right. I'm sick of being right. I want to succeed. I'm sick of being sincere. I want to succeed. And the only way to succeed is to come up with plans that utilize proven strategies that move the ball forward. That's what we do at Eagle Council. That's exactly what we do at Eagle Council. EagleCouncil.com, EagleCouncil.com. If you put that in and go there, you'll see it's very inexpensive. You got to get to St. Louis, but it's inexpensive. We charge basically the cost to do the event. We don't charge much else. We don't charge anything else. We, In fact, we subsidize a little bit of it. EagleCouncil.com. This year, Jay Ashcroft, the son of John Ashcroft, Jay is the Secretary of State of Missouri, proven election authority, proven conservative. He'll be with us. He'll be with us at a celebration of life. We're going to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate the unsung heroes of the life movement, the little old ladies that prayed in front of the abortion clinic, the guys that stuffed envelopes, the old men, the young men, the, uh, the girls, the young girls and boys that marched in places for it. We're going to celebrate the unsung heroes at a luncheon on September 17th with Jay Ashcroft, with Tamara Scott. Uh, Tamara Scott is from Iowa. She's a leader. Bridget Van Means, a big leader. Someone who knows Marilyn Shannon, another one. And we're going to highlight, we're going to bring forward the, the people, unsung heroes, people, names that people have forgotten and names people never knew. And we're going to put them in a legacy list, a book of the, of the book of the living, the book of the life. And it's going to be great. Then in the afternoon, we'll have our Eagle briefing, about two hours of briefing on the key issues and what we're going to do about them. That's a key thing. That, that Eagle briefing is like, it's like the best briefing in the world on conservatism politics and what we're going to do and then in the evening it's the constitution day celebration we have uh steve bannon and peter navarro uh and we also have family members of the january 6 prisoners who will be with us and we're going to celebrate the theme of that the theme for that night is due process denied 
and we're going to talk about what's going on in this country. It's going to be great. Go to EagleCouncil.com. EagleCouncil.com. Hope you'll be a part of it. Look forward to seeing you there. All right, we got to wrap things up. Thank you to Noah Dingley, Joanna Spilger. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. See you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.